It is St. Patty's Day, March 17th, 2023. I am Robert McGrordy, Director of Subscriber Development here at Hedgeye. Welcome to a beginner's guide. It's another glorious day out there. Hughes ramped right up to the top of the risk range. Coach hit the button in RTA. It's a beautiful thing. Bounce right off of that bad boy down one, you know, when I last looked 1.3% from the, from the highs. It was great. Great coaching, great execution. Well done, uh, Keith. All right. We're going to get into it here. Uh, if you're new to this, um, to this episode, to this webcast, what we do is we review, um, kind of the key fundamentals of, of the, and the drivers that really drive or the drivers that, um, uh, uh, that we really focus on here at Hedgeye. And then we get in some answering some questions, both the combination of the macro show as well as the arena, uh, sometimes even Twitter. Uh, so don't, uh, don't hesitate to kind of tag me with any questions on Twitter as well. And then last, and then we'll get into some clips of the week, some key clips um, from, from this week, kind of highlighting some important um, subject matter and that kind of thing. And then lastly, we, we get into a bit of a, it can be a bit of a, a Piece, not piecemeal, but just sort of it, it, it varies a little bit. Uh, <clears throat> this week, we're going to get into kind of just reviewing the early look. So kind of a bit more of the Hedgeye products, but sometimes we do some live questions or or review kind of a really key topic. Um, like a couple of weeks ago, we did uh, reviewed sort of uh, economic data that was coming out um, the following week. The, the following week. So uh, go review those. All the beginners got here, the clips and the questions, they now live on YouTube. So Hedgeye TV. Uh, there's a playlist dedicated in, in four different kind of pieces or portions. Uh, go check those out. It's a, a great summation of what we've covered. Uh, this is episode 15. So we've been doing these now for uh, since about, um, I think it was November, it was the first November 2022 when we started started off uh, Beginner's Guide. So hopefully you're enjoying them and they're helpful and we'll get right into it here. So uh, general, if you don't mind pulling up slide three, yep, the fundamentals, awesome. Uh, so really the, the key objective at Hedgeye and, and the reason why uh, the risk manager in chief, a.k.a. Keith McCullough, uh, you know, has, has founded the firm and, and the, the things that, that we do in terms of position sizing and executing, touching positions incrementally, et cetera, et cetera. It's all to preserve, protect, and compound our hard-earned capital. Uh, that is the, the the number one goal, um, preserve, protect, and then compound. Uh, so the, the, there's a reason, um, again, just like uh, Keith just tweeted out in terms of uh, the words I select are important. Um, the way that we uh, say that, that phrase in terms of the fundamentals, preserve, protect, and compound, that is the order in which you should be really focusing in on them. So uh, preserving your capital is number one thing to do in a quad four environment. Uh, that is the most critical piece uh, that you want to try to achieve. Uh, so preserve, protect, and then compound. Protecting your cap capital, although it sounds similar to preserving, is not 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 quite the same thing. So protecting that capital is being, um, you know, touching the positions more incrementally, right? So both when you're buying and selling. So taking profits on the go and trying to, which then basically flows into kind of compounding your capital and and knowing when to kind of uh, you know really get bigger or execute more efficiently at, uh, or from a timing standpoint, uh, at those, at the pivot points uh, is what I kind of tend to typically call them. So the, to capture the full cycle investing, I think, um, you know, Keith was highlighting it on the macro show today in his top three things in terms of cues, uh, you know, one of the better opportunities here this morning at NASDAQ, um, in, in, in regards to kind of on the short side, but 
Uh, that that's besides the point. Uh, again, we're going to kind of r- run through here. One of the the key ways that we do preserve and protect our capital is uh, through position sizing. So I think that's a, a huge piece that many uh, folks really just need to continue to uh, work on it and figure out what works for them from a risk tolerance, risk management standpoint. Uh, Keith and and certainly you know I've adapted them from him. Um, when I first joined Hedgeye or found Hedgeye back in March of 2020, uh, these are something, these are, these are, um, position sizings that I also use in my own portfolio as well. So from an FX standpoint, you, uh, max position size would be uh, 12%. So something like the dollar UUP, uh, fixed income, 10%, uh, again, an example would be TLT equities. So those would be ETFs, uh, AKA something like, uh, like an XLV, so healthcare, that'd be a max position of 6%. Commodities, 4%. Uh, so again, if you're doing kind of on the ETF side in the US, you would think of that through uh, maybe a copper, CPER, um, or even kind of uh, if you're using futures, et cetera, et cetera, it'd be a similar, similar type sizing position. Uh, options, really, uh, you know, that 1% to 2% is uh, in my a little high. That's kind of not not where I live. I, I, I certainly keep options less than 100 basis points. Uh, but uh, in terms of individual securities themselves, something like a, like an Apple or or uh, a, a Nvidia, let's just say that would be within kind of a one to two percent max position size uh, on the long short equity side of the things. And, and again, this is more geared towards ETFs. You uh, you would go to your max your mid and min. So you got to make sure you set your max mid and min. Uh, Keith and, and we at Hedgeye. Uh, so, you know, do it at uh, six four two on the long side, and then three two one on the short side. Regardless of what your maxes would be, you're going to uh, your shorts are going to be fifty percent of those ma- of those maxes. Hi, I'm Keith McCullough, and I wanted to introduce you to my favorite product at Hedgeye, the Macro Show. Why is it my favorite product? Well, it's my show. I do that every morning. If you want to get ready for the market day, you want to contextualize all the data, you want to make good decisions, then this is what you should be watching. It's a repeatable process that you can deliberately study, measuring and mapping time series to time series of data. So it's not going headline to headline and getting whipped around. It's actually being so much more dispassionate about it and making good decisions that are data driven. So we'd love to have you on our team. Come join us. Tune in weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern and on demand anytime. Go to hedgeye.com slash research to subscribe. All right. So let's uh, let's keep on rolling. We're getting to the questions here next. Uh, the first question of the day is uh, what to do when, when we don't have a risk range. And again, that's a, it's a good question. It's one that we get quite frequently. Uh, risk ranges do not exist for all um, for basically all assets out there. And you know the one of the key reasons is uh, you know Keith has put together the risk range product, which I'll uh, review in a little bit more detail as well uh, later on in the episode. But these are the key pieces inside of, in, in terms of the the global macro environment. Uh, that that Keith really wants to focus on and and delivers them to us so that we can uh, use them to better gauge kind of where to go and wh- when when to kind of uh, pivot or make decisions right so um, that's that's I think the number one thing is that risk range product uh, it, there there's a, a reason why those uh, pieces of inventory are selected there kind of you know similarly for instance the VIX um, or the the five different FX currencies the dollar the euro, the the yen, the pound, and the Canadian dollar. So uh, all these things, you know, they, they do matter. They are uh, important in terms of uh, keeping track of them. So even if you don't, maybe don't trade currencies, making sure that you're uh, 
staying focused and realizing where they are within their own risk range uh, is very influential and can help you make better decisions when you are executing on uh, things like uh, you know the S&P or even NASDAQ or, or, or the DAX, et cetera, et cetera, right? So um, all those, th- you know, the, these pieces of the puzzle are interconnected and when they all kind of f- floated together and you should be looking at everything, even if you're not trading everything. Uh, so, General, if you go to the next slide, we'll, we'll dive into the question itself: uh, What to do when we don't have a risk range? Pro- risk range. Um, there's kind of two questions here. One's geared towards, "Hey, I've you know tons of positions in my, in my portfolio. I don't have levels, risk ranges for all of them. You know, what can I do? How can I help?" And then, secondly, is uh, you know, how do you want us to trade XLE or XLF if there's no published risk range um, or ETF pro risk range? And and again, you know, both of these uh, do make sense in in regards to like I understand why you're asking these questions, um, but at the same time, it shouldn't prevent you really from um, being able to execute and make a solid decision or, or to curate your portfolio um in in a in an appropriate way right i mean although we do trade you know we are you know we do touch our positions incrementally um almost daily or most of the time daily the really where we shine and in the core focus of um i think the most opportune the best opportunities are trying to capture the full cycle I guess is the way I'll say that, right? So um, the risk range itself, I think, is, although important, the trend is the most important thing to be focusing on, right? And and there's a saying that we have here, it's called the trend is your friend. And that's, I can I don't think there, there could be a better way of expressing that. Um, if, uh, generally, if you kind of jump, jump down two slides or sort of, yeah, uh, I think, this is where the out bucket. So I'm going to address kind of the first, the second question first. This is where the out bucket is at the bottom of the risk range product. Um, this is where things that you know had been on the on you know had been provided from a risk range standpoint. If they get removed, they go down to the out bucket. I've addressed this before, but at the same time, this is where you can track the trend. And the reason why Keith does this is because again, the trend is is crucially important. Um, right now, all these out bucket names are bearish trend. So everything from REITs to energy to staples to healthcare to utilities. And, and again, these will change. So if uh, something moves to bullish trend, uh, let's just say staples, right? And sometime in the future, if it, they return back to kind of a quad four, you know, traditional quad four uh uh, portfolio or, or sort of uh, for in, in that regard, then, you know, it's possible that that goes back to to, to bullish trend. Now, um, at VIX, you know, approaching the F bucket, it's unlikely, but but regardless that that what you see there on the, on the screen or at the bottom of the risk range, that will shift from bearish to bullish when it does do that. So again, this is a good guide. And although you don't have the risk range, um, you can you can track the trend itself, and and it gives you, you know, um, I write them down every day. Uh, so just you know, if you're not writing them down every day, I think you're doing yourself a disservice because you're getting in this case five extra, um, you know, uh, tickers in their in their trends in in regards to what they're actually doing. So again, no risk range, but there are different ways that you can uh, try to manage that. You know, some subs use exponential moving averages to try to gauge sort of trade and trend lines. Um, other folks use bridge bands or even have built a version of Keys uh, VASP signal themselves to help guide them. Now, I, I haven't done any of those. I don't use any of those uh, components. Uh, personally, uh, personally, it just, um, I, I, I'd rather focus on um, and, and track price volume and volatility. I think if you can, if you can do that and get a good handle on 
on on price volume volatility for the for individual pieces of inventory, I think you're going to be making a lot better decisions, regardless of whether or not you've built a signal yourself. So track price uh, across multiple uh, look back look back windows. I, I think that's a critically important step. So for me, I use a 10 day, 15 day, 21 day, and 63 day look back windows. Uh, 21 day and 63 day are basically one month and three months. So uh, trade and trend, right? So um, you know, uh, technically trade is is 15 days or less, uh, but I do you know the machine often works off of a one month. Uh, one month window. So I kind of keep track of both the 15 day, which would be the trade, excuse me, and then 21 day to see kind of what the machine and or algos might be doing um, from a one month standpoint. Uh, 63 days, as I said, is is three months um, and therefore it's three months or more. So I'm, I'm tracking it right at that three month window. Uh, but again, depending on that, on the particular piece of inventory uh, and the volatility levels, I, my look back window may uh, expand. Uh, so something with a lower volatility, like a currency, so kind of to call it the dollar, uh, that would go beyond the beyond this time frame. So this is, I'd say, more geared towards kind of equities themselves, just as an FYI, just or to clarify. Uh, monitoring volume uh, is also incredibly important on uh, and monitoring in both directions. So on both green and and red days, like how is the volume, how is the volume act, you know, reacting and acting. Now volume is volume accelerating on green days because that typically would would, would that would be typically a good sign right so uh buyers are stepping in and they're you know um and they're right and they're hitting rising offers right so that's a good thing so um volume accelerating on red days though is a bad thing typically uh, because sellers unloading shares and they're hitting lower bids right so again this is uh this is really important to understand what the volume is doing with the price action uh, because it really kind of can can show you uh conviction in terms of the market <laughs> The the last thing to do is is to uh, track volatility, and capital capital uh, so just you know flows are usually attracted to assets with decelerating levels of volatility. Uh, you can use realized vol, implied vol, or a combo of the two to help gauge the underlying volatility, and I, and and that would be my way in terms of answering question one. When you don't have the risk ranges for uh, individual positions, you know track those three things: uh, price, volume, volatility, and it's going to help you make a lot better decisions. The other thing you can do from that positioning standpoint. So, uh, General, I'm sorry if you can just go back to, to slide five there in terms of that question. And so he's got a lot of different exposure, right? Min position rules, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that's all fine and dandy, and, and it's good that you're following those rules. But at the same time, um, you know, if you've got 20 positions, uh, individual securities on at min sizing, that would be, let's just say, um, it's 50, you know, let's just, for, for simple math, let's just say it's it's 1%, right? Is your min size for an individual security. Um, then, you know, you've got 20% of your portfolio assigned to uh, individual stocks themselves. And typically individual securities or stocks have a higher level of volatility. So you're going to be running a higher, vol a higher level of volatility within your book, right? So I think you just really have to be conscientious as well in terms of like, okay, what, you know, although you may be following the minimum position sizing rules for the actual like one asset class, what is it when I combine everything together? Um, so, you know, Ticking, you know, maybe narrowing down some of your positions in, in, in could help. Uh, this is where you know Keith will rotate his inventory, right? He'll buy some at the low end of the range, sell some at the top end of the range. Again, I know this question is about I don't have the risk ranges, so when you when you are comfortable with kind of executing making those decisions, um, you know, uh, rotating and and not perhaps not having 
you know, again, I'm just using 20 as an example, like 20 different individual securities on inside the portfolio. Maybe you've got a watch list of 20 to 50 to 100. Um, but in terms of like what's actually inside your portfolio, you're you're rotating them uh, in a much more efficient and kind of um, risk risk man in a much more risk tolerant or risk management type style. So just wanting to uh, highlight that as well. <clears throat> All right. The second question uh, is around, can you expand? I touched base on, on kind of rate of change and risk ranges, I believe um, in episode 13 or 14. Uh, but again, you can find a lot of these questions or all these questions now um, inside the Hedgeye TV YouTube uh, channel and uh, specifically the beginner's guide playlist. Uh, but the questions, the second question is uh, please expand on, on the rock, the rate of change when looking at risk ranges. So I've, uh, I've, I've set up or I've, screenshotted kind of um uh today's yesterday so march 17th march 16th and then last week's march 10th uh, the way that i look at it is is via uh, day over day and week over week the the question asked about month over month I, I think um although can be helpful in terms of like i guess reviewing historically like where we've come from um the risk ranges where they're dynamic and are influenced by price volume volatility it, i i personally find that if you go out more than kind of a week it it get just gets a, a little um doesn't provide as much kind of detail or insight as as one might might wish right so uh but definitely tracking day over day and week over week those are two things that i've talked about here as well as on the weekly notebook review on wednesdays so if you um uh, aren't aren't um, participating in that that's a twitter spaces event on wednesdays at 4 30 p.m uh, eastern uh and then you know that gets thrown up uh, via podcast and youtube as well uh, for for listens and replays afterwards but uh in in terms of um you know the day over day or the rate of change uh general if you go back to that uh, slide nine in terms of the day over day you can see that um, you know the the thirty year it put in a, a, a lower low. So again, today's risk ranges are on the left. Um, yesterday's are on the right. So you can see there from a rate of change standpoint, you know the top end of the range was four one yesterday is now three spot nine nine today. The low end of the range is three spot six zero today, and yesterday was three spot six one. So that's a that's a lower low and a lower high, right? So you're tr kind of tracking these things day over day. Similarly with with the S and P, you put in a higher low and a higher high uh, today versus yesterday. Now if we go to the next slide, Genron. Um, you know, this is where you can kind of get a, a feel for um, what's trend, you know, what's happened on a week over week basis. So, a couple of big things, you know, transpired week over week. You, you've got um, all of your your U.S. Treasuries went from bullish trend to bearish, right? So uh, that's a huge call out. So not so not only is it just the rock, the rate of change, uh, but it's also obviously here in terms of the signal week over week. Now you'd be watching this and tracking this when it actually happens in real time, uh, but certainly, you know, this is one of the benefits of looking at things week over week because you can remind yourself oh oh wow um you know uh, yeah that that's right you know tra you know u.s treasuries were bullish trend just just you know five trading days ago uh similarly you can see as well like on the on the on the we'll just go on the 10 year this time you know the the uh Top end of the range was is four spot one one today, and last week it was four spot oh nine. So that's a higher high, and the but a big time lower low at three spot three eight today and three spot eight two um, last Friday. So again, this you know this is a, 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 a the core reason why this is happening is because the move index, aka uh, U.S. Treasury volatility itself, has exploded to the upside. It's now it's up uh, one sixty. You know, closed yesterday at one sixty seven spot nine five. Um, so with that explosion of volatility, the risk range is blown out as well. 
But again, this is like a, a key, key thing to be tracking. Um, not only, as I said, day over day, but week over week, because it really gives you a sense as to what's transpired in the last, you know, in the last five days. Uh, similarly, down at the bottom, you can see again, ITA has moved to neutral trend here today versus a week ago. And, and, um, conversely, you know, uh, GDX has, you know, picked up some trend, sig some signal strength as it's moved back to, you know, moved to neutral from bearish a week ago. Um, but the interesting thing there with the GDX number, again, this is, you know, a relative correlation to uh, the volatility environment that we are experiencing here a week later, that risk range has a has a has a lower low at twenty five spot eight eight today um, versus twenty six spot one three last week and thirty spot three zero on the upside to twenty eight spot seven two on the on the top end of the risk range last week. So again, that risk range has has widened. The signal has turned to neutral. And um, that from a rate of change standpoint, that that top end of the risk range is, you know, um, almost two, a little less than $2 uh, higher than it was just a week ago. So uh, these are all things that, that I, I track, I watch, I kind of write down and evaluate. Um, and then the other thing, too, as I'm looking through this, if I'm kind of correlating this back to that first question, uh, when you're looking at the price from the price component, so that look back window, um, understanding where the top end, lower end of the risk ranges fit into your um, your look back window in terms of like the high and low uh, pricing. So I've I've quoted this before, both in the arena and on Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, if I you know, if I say something, or if we say something like um, you know a, a one month high or one month low, you know, this is where the um, and that if that risk range is above it, then then that means there's a higher probability that you're going to be making new highs. So uh, a, a, a positive or really strong signal is going to be one that's making higher highs and higher lows in a bullish formation or bullish trend. And um, those higher highs and higher lows are, are and when we say that is because it's the low end of the risk range is above the one month low or, and certainly in, and and hopefully the three month low, that's kind of typically how that would work. And then a higher high is the same thing. It's, it's, it's above um, the most recent one month high and, and the most recent three month high. So um, these are all things to be tracking and to be watching. All right. Question three, how to manage positions in a rising volatility environment. Um, this, so again, I'll let you kind of like read this as I get a drink of water. Um, this is, this is an interesting question. Um, obviously it's a little, or it's very, uh, I, I, maybe reactionary to what's happening in the last week. As I just mentioned, volatility is, has significantly increased from kind of the low, the low end of the chop bucket now to the, to, to the top half of the chop bucket with a rising probability of, of getting into the, to the F bucket. I think it does kind of depend um, in terms of uh, one, you know, the, the question probably needs to be expanded upon a little bit so I can answer it a bit more poignantly um, or specifically. So, uh, but, but it does depend. Uh, uh, however, the, the probably the best answer would be to raise cash. So anytime um, a rising and vol a vol an environment of rising volatility is occurring, raising cash or selling down that piece of inventory 
um, makes sense, right? So when I say raise cash, it doesn't mean, you know, you, you have to take your entire book um, off. But, it, you know, again, if we kind of be a bit more specific in a particular asset class, if, if realized vol in, a, in an individual security goes from 30 to 60, so it's like doubling, you know, you're going to be wanting to typically, you'll, you'll, you'll want to be reducing your size of that position and, and take it from, say, a mid to a min and then potentially all the way off the book completely. Now, um, I say that, but you can also have rising volatility as price moves to the upside. And, and you can look at spot gold price in the last week with, with GVZ, uh, which is gold volatility, uh, plus 308 basis points on a week-over-week basis. So uh, volatility does go both ways and, and rising vol with rising price um, can be a positive thing. But typically, and I think the way this question is being asked, it's more about kind of the snapback and the violent moves that you're kind of trying to track. Um, my good friend, Chris Moyer, uh, he he was we were talking earlier this week. He 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 met he's uh, he mentioned that at um, uh, that there's basically kind of rules of thumb, right? So at uh, at kind of a 32 VIX, you're going to get uh, shoot. Now I might be misquoting him, but I believe it was a two or two and a half percent move in. I believe it's a two percent move in in um, in price, right? So if in the S and P, that's kind of uh, a standard. Uh, at sixteen vol, it's basically one percent. So you know, anytime you get higher volatility, and, and again, regardless of what the actual numbers are, the point of why he told me this and why he tracks it and why I'm sharing it with you is that rising vol uh, really means you're gonna you are gonna get those price swings, and you are um, you know. The, they're going to go is going to be violently to the upside and violently to the downside. Um, and again, that's one of the reasons where raising cash uh, can be a very prudent measure and ties back into the core um, the core fundamentals of, of what we do here, which is preserve, protect, and then compound our, our hard-earned capital. So um, the, the key focus is preserving and protecting. Uh, so again, I just would reiterate those, those pieces. And, and uh, anytime you've got a rising volatility environment, it's best to kind of, um, you know, try to uh, sidestep those. And, and again, as I said, yeah, raise cash in whatever capacity that means for you. Um, all right. So we're going to move into the clips of the week. we got a couple good ones here. Um, the first one's around uh, cost basis and that no one cares about your cost basis, but you. You know, if I don't send another signal on something like palladium, for example, the ticker is P-A-L-L, uh, that that doesn't mean that I'm not shorting more. So I did art articulate that yesterday on my yen signal. I said, don't pay attention to the cost basis on real-time alerts. That that would be idiotic. Again, one, real-time coaching alerts is not a portfolio. Two, it's these aren't single static positions where I take one shot. Every single position I have, every single position I have. Did I say every single position I have, I touch incrementally uh, pretty much every day. Okay, so... Um, that's that's the point, right? So if you see something d isn't working instantaneously or is going against you in real time alerts, you can you can bet your made off that if it's a macro position because I'm allowed to trade those, then I'm, I'm definitely going to be adding and subtracting from those intraday and not staring at the cost basis. Um, don't stare at your cost basis ever. By the way, that's a really important lesson that I've had to learn over the years. You know, when you start thinking about cost basis in your position, you're starting to think about the position in a way that I would not. Okay. So that's just, just take it out of your, take it out of your, 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 your brain, you know, just is the position signaling bullish trade trend, bearish trade trend, vice versa. Obviously that's what we care about. Where is it in the risk range? Who cares about your cost basis? Nobody cares. Uh, you know, you might, but that doesn't mean that the market does.
He, re- he reiterated that point on today's macro show about cost basis. Uh, so do do your best. I know it can be very challenging to do so and uh, to kind of uh, put that aside. But I think if you can do that and if you need to just remove it off the screen uh, to, to do so and just kind of execute um, that, that could be a, a one way of doing it. Um, so I haven't done that. Uh, I, I just kind of not that I ignore it, but you know, incorporate it into your in, into the overall. Um, it's on the screen, but does it impact how it, when I make the decision or what I do? No. So again, the cost basis. Uh, you know, nobody cares but you. And I think that was a really good point from Keith. Next one's on rate cuts and inflation expectations, as well as the old wall's need for cowbell. Jordan from Ontario. Good morning, Keith. You 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 sort of touched on this already, but I think it is an important point. If the central banks go back to QE and start cutting interest rates, won't that lead to more inflation causing bonds to sell off again and ultimately perpetuating volatility? How do you think this ends? And you know, I think the point you made was that if we get to the point where we're actually cutting 100 basis points you know, through the duration of the year, it's you know, because things are very bad economically, probably very bad with the banks, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I, th- I think if you're waiting to sort of buy inflation, you know, because the Fed's cutting rates, um, you know, that might not be the scenario you want to wait for. But you know, what what are your thoughts on that? Because I know we've been sort of trained, okay, Fed cuts, QE comes in, that's when you buy. But you know, history doesn't really tell us that in other you know quad fours. Yeah, right. I mean, that's a that's a real important point that you make there. Um, and 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 here's a good um, here's a good. Um, segue to highlight something that I wanted to highlight anyway. Um, one question should have been the number one question today, I, I, according to me. But, um, you know, given yesterday's CPI report, Keith, what did, you know, what did Drago come come up with in terms of the updated nowcast for inflation? That that should be a question, right? Like, you shouldn't be asking about breaking rules today. I mean, it's a, you, should, you should be asking the good questions. Um, so let's, let's answer that question, because it's, again, according to me, a fantastic question. Slide 37, if you go to that now. Um, and we'll do slide 37 and 38, Jonesy, to try to, you know, answer the cowbell question, um, you know, coherently and, and within both the short term, the cycle, the intermediate to short term and, and the longer term picture uh, that is a policy mistake, you know, of, of cutting interest rates aggressively and getting inflation back up. So we're at 5.77% on slide 37. You can see that. So our numbers came down just a little bit. Um and that is for the end of the first quarter. So that won't be until we get into April. Uh, then we step down to 3.93, 3.85, 3.82. So basically you're stepping down to a level, like we're higher than the street for the rest of the year. All right. So that's point number one. The street needs, wants, hopes, prays, begs for 2% inflation. So they're not going to get that, at least according to us for now. Um, as we enter the recession, go to the next slide on slide, uh, slide 39. Actually, go ahead a couple slides, Marina. You can see, um, you know, we're at the X point here on this chart if, if we're using the analog of, of the 1970s. And the ghost of Arthur Burns is what it is. So instead of coming from 9% inflation, Jonesy, we're coming from 12.3%. So you see where that yellow X is? You know, the Fed is like sitting there now and they're, they're going to be tested. Are, are they going to flinch? You know, so instead of going to 4.86%, which is the low, uh, and by the way, 1975 was was a recession. Um, I was born in a recession. That's why I'm I'm so good at being a bear, right? Uh, it's 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 in it's in me. It's innate. Uh, <laughs> so again, if they do that, like Arthur Burns would do, uh, double digit money supply growth is what he provided. Then it goes, you know, in this case, go back to slide 37. 
Inflation will go down towards four, ironically enough, which is pretty close to where it went in 1970, 1976. And then it went to 15, right? That's back on slide 39. So that's the risk, Jonesy, is that oil goes from 60 to 130 from here, you know, um, and that would be a, a, a royal disaster, you know, on many levels. And, and again and again and again, like Wall Street people need, want, hope, pray, beg for cowbell. And they haven't, they did in 01, they did in 08, and they'll do it again. But I don't think they know what they're praying for. You know, that's why I recommend prayer. I, I, I need a little bit more discipline in, in, that, in, in, that, in that recommendation because, you know, what you really should be praying for is an education to really think this through altogether. And the more you think about it, the more screwed you, you, you'll come to realize most things are. I mean, that's including the Federal Reserve. Yeah, maybe today they'll be praying a little St. Patrick while having a pint of Guinness, but uh, that's not neither here nor there. I think the key takeaway here is that inflation expectations are, are um, significantly higher than uh, the 2% target from the Fed. And our nowcast model, as Keith said, has it kind of you know going down towards nine, a little bit under nine, I believe Q4 is uh, three point nine two. So you know this, these models are going to shift and change as the nowcasters get more data, and we approach you know um, you know the end of Q1 here, and then go and get into uh, Q2 as well. But uh, that's the biggest piece of the puzzle that I think um, is is quite important, right? So inflation expectations um, are our nowcast is, is saying that they're <clears throat> absolutely higher than than where the Fed. Uh, wants to take them, which is 2%. And you're seeing that reflected also within the risk range. Keith has talked about that um, uh, multiple times this week and, and reiterated that fact in the top three things today on, on the macro show. Uh, but that risk range on uh, the 10 year, or sorry, the two year at three spot six five on the low end and five spot one eight on the top end. Uh, that that's telling you that there's a probability, and that's the immediate term risk range. So you know, just let that sink in for how wide that bad boy is, um, and and that's telling you that there's immediate term um, option probability that we could get back north of five percent on the two year, um, and, and and so you know, it's really important to be you know being conscientious and, and aware of what's um, not only what the nowcast is is saying and, and, and kind of um, is the conditional probability of what it's trying to put out there and, and or what it's what it's saying with a conditional probability, but also what the the signal in the risk range is, is telling you as well. So last, um, the last clip of the week and John Ron, I know I gave you two, um, yeah, let's roll the first one first and then we'll, we'll see what from a time standpoint, what we have, but we're, we're talking about volatility, the F bucket and adjusting position sizing and pressing shorts. Well, markets, uh, I say this all the time, I mean, market crashes uh, typically occur from oversold levels. Uh, our definition of what is oversold is a loan of the range. So you want to be very careful on intraday moves. In particular, you should be watching where front month volatility is going. So one very obvious example uh, is when you have something like um, the VIX going to the fuck bucket. Now, uh, this is where new subscribers are going to get really, really excited because this is a real important one. Currently, you know, we have a risk range on the VIX of call it 18 to 24. So when the VIX goes like this, um, it, it constantly bouncing off this level, right? It goes into here, and the top end of the range of volatility has the low end of the range. The equivalent of that on the S&P 500 is 38.91 this morning, okay? So if we were to see that uh, 38.91 and a 24 VIX, I will be covering some, but if I start to see that sucker howl, you start to see 25, 26, and this is where I'll update you in real-time alerts. I'm like, eh, -eh. I'm not covering some. I might even press shorts there. I definitely look for other shorts, 
Um, so, because I don't want to take off my net short exposure. For the record, I, I just went from, so for example, uh, yesterday into the close, I went from 13% net short at the start of the week to 3% net short. I took a, te a thousand basis points of net short exposure, and that's how I make money, right? That's how I pay to go to Cartagena. I don't go, go for free. Nobody's you know, running my money getting me that. So um, that's where you, know, you got to be very careful. Uh, obviously, if this, is, if this gets anywhere near 2930, this thing's going to blow the roof off, uh, and you're going to have down days like uh, if you're new to this uh, that you've seen before, but you probably weren't proactively prepared for. Yeah, so again, you know, that was from a week ago. This was from last Friday, March 10th, uh, macro show. Uh, the VIX today has a top end of the risk range of 29 spot 31 and a low end of 21 spot 22. So no longer are we in the teens in, in regards to the low end of the risk range. And that top end is is now uh, just kind of peeking its little head up into the F bucket. So um, that that's a really critical piece here. And and uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to bring it back from last week where I had to uh, kind of impromptu cancel beginner's guide. So apologies for that again. Uh, but the, uh, but yeah, but, but with VIX kind of at the top end, there's a probability that we get back into the, into the F bucket. And then uh, that's exactly what he was referring to, you know, pressing those shorts, uh, even, even on down, even on, you know, down, down days or on, on kind of uh, downward momentum. Uh, because that the trending volatility and the um, is is and the probability of rising volatility is increasing. So, uh, just wanted to kind of reiterate that, uh, General. Where we're we're kind of pushing thirty five minute mark. Why don't we skip that second one? Um, it was from so the other clip was from uh, March sixteenth. So yesterday uh, at the you know around the nine thirty five mark to to the eleven minute mark, uh, he does give me a little shout out, but that really wasn't why I was uh, highlighting it. It was really more so around. Um, the uh, conversation around uh, how he was handling the ITA. Uh, you know what, General? Let's let's run it, buddy. It was a really it was a good one around around ITA and how he was handling it from uh, from the risk range standpoint. VIX is topping of the range. There is still twenty. It's it's got a twenty nine in front of it. Don't forget that's that's the fuck bucket uh, F bucket being. Um, so again, for those of you that are new to the process, thanks for joining us. There are three regimes of volatility, um, with the bad one being that one. Anything north of twenty nine. Um, it'd be a major problem. I, I went to 85% um, cash most recently. So in the long only uh, asset allocation model that I run every day and give you updates. And as McGrory highlighted, if you don't follow McGrory, he, 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 he shadows me, right? Like, and he gives you a lot, of, uh, a lot of good information that I haven't given you yet or ways to think about what's coming out of my mouth. Um, you know, different ETFs he was highlighting yesterday, for example. But one point he made was, you know, pay attention to what he's doing here. He's raised, he continues to raise cash, right? Like, so, uh, and we do get all of a sudden defense stocks, um, which aren't on the board, they're on the bottom board, are back to, or they're, they're at neutral trend. So that means that they're teetering on a breakdown as well. And that's been, you know, our favorite sector, but I, I have been taking that position down. I'm down all the way down to 1%, my minimum uh, on that, which is tiny. Um, and essentially the reason to do that is that, you can't really get hurt, right? I mean, if if I have a one percent position, go down ten percent. If defense stocks were to go down ten percent, like today, I'd lose ten basis points of my hard-earned capital, right? So that's that's nothing. Um, so again, and I don't expect <laughs> defense stocks to go down ten percent today. By the way, yeah. So again, kind of he reiterates what I what I just said, but at the same time, I think the ITA. So if you if anybody gets the re-rank product from from Macro Pro. Uh, you'll see today that he's actually all out of ITA. 
so again, it's still neutral trend on the board in terms of risk range, but uh, putting in you know lower lows and, and lower highs, uh, that's not that's not a, a signal that you want to you know have in your portfolio, and let alone with a rising probability of volatility getting into the F bucket. So uh, two two things there, I think that was a that was a critical piece for him to review in terms of how he thinks about both volatility and then positioning and position you know position sizing and positioning and making those decisions within the portfolio. So uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed that, um, and we will move on to the last portion of the show, which is uh, which. Today is going to be around uh, products, so we're going to review uh, the early look. General, if you don't mind pulling up, uh, this is yesterday's March 16th early look. Uh, Keith um, Keith um, uh, wrote this one. You'll, you'll find that you know, that sometimes Keith will be, you know, typically Keith is the author of the early look, but uh, certainly we do have, you know, uh, guest guest authors from from uh, from within Hedgeye and that kind of thing. But the the, the Couple of takeaways that I want to have you um, review or, or kind of focus on is we do highlight the kind of call it the top three or kind of the takeaways of the of the day. So those are all uh, there at the top. So um, you can see, yeah. So as we kind of scroll down, you will get a quote of the day, then the key key takeaways. We then get into kind of uh, the big picture and that kind of stuff. Um, I'm actually, it's hard for me to read that. So I'm going to pull it up on my side as well. So as you scroll, Genron, just give me 30 seconds. I had it pulled up. Uh, here we go. So, um, <clears throat> sorry guys, kind of doing, let me just pivot here. All right. So, um, yeah, so as we get into the big picture, you'll 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 see he kind of gives a little bit of a, a general kind of intro as to what he's thinking about, and then gets into the the nitty gritty, right? So the macro grind, um, and in this case, he was really you know reiterating his top three things that that are also delivered uh, within the macro show and the macro uh, macro show deck. I think you know. Obviously, I hope everyone's kind of uh, reading reading those top three things in a um, very uh, uh, deliberate fashion because again uh, it's it's there's some really crucial takeaways specifically from uh what Keith was writing in there and I think that's the big piece from from the early look it's a it's a phenomenal way to start off the day in terms of uh getting um you know a dissemination of information that is uh kind of the most important pieces of what one should be thinking about going into um the the trading day or the the the, the the day itself. So, uh, even if you don't touch your portfolio daily, reading that early look uh, to me uh, really uh, helps block out any of the noise from other uh, news sources and, and that kind of thing. So, uh, yesterday was all about rates, energy, and financials. Obviously, financials have been a big piece of the puzzle here uh, within the uh, um, uh, in the last week or so. But uh, the other the other piece too, though, is a reiteration. So, if you scroll down, uh, you know, I think he probably is. Keith was probably the only one that really to write about tech this week. Um, everyone's so focused on the financials and that kind of thing. So uh, again, this is a, a, a brilliant glimpse into where Keith is trying to convey where to uh, look for opportunities, both on the long and short side. And, uh, and and in this case, he's referring to obviously the mother of all bu bubbles in NVIDIA and Microsoft and and, uh, and and what's transpiring there. So again, it's, I think this is like a, a really important piece of the early look is that it, it's um, it's very unique and, and certainly is likely something that you're not going to be reading elsewhere uh, within uh, the old wall. And then lastly, where as you scroll down, you're going to get into uh, levels. So we do provide 
a number of risk ranges within the early look. So general, if you scroll down there for me, you can get uh, the, the various levels. So again, those risk ranges are there at the bottom of the page. And then lastly, we get the uh, the chart of the day. So that's, you know, yesterday's was around energy. This varies. So again, this is kind of something where uh, we're highlighting something that we find uh, to be very important and impactful and want to make sure that it's on your, your radar. So uh, again, make sure you're kind of scrolling all the way down. I think those chart of the days are, are, are uh, crucially important. And then, you know, just in terms of expanding on the risk ranges as well, just where they are at the bottom there, I do want to kind of, um, yeah, I had Genron kind of pull up the risk ranges from from yesterday where we had a number of, of trend changes. So uh, we do highlight those at the top of the page. So again, the trend changes are there. ITA went from bullish to neutral. US dollar uh, JPY changed from bullish to neutral and silver changed from bearish to neutral. So uh, those are really important to, and we highlight those right at the top to make sure to kind of draw your attention. Uh, they obviously, if you're writing these down on a you know regular daily basis, then you're, you're likely going to be noticing those as well um, from doing the kind of day over day, week over week analysis. And then general, can you just kind of scroll down to the end there? And I just want to show people where that out bucket is. So all the way at the bottom, uh, you will find the out bucket. So again, any time that a, uh, a a risk range gets kind of um, removed from the daily ranges, it'll land into the out bucket, and then um, Keith provides the uh, the trend uh, signal there. So whether bearish, neutral, or, or bullish. So um, awesome. Hopefully uh, that was helpful. Again, um, you know we'll we'll do a few of these in terms of kind of uh, reviewing certain products and that kind of thing. But uh, but hopefully everyone's. Uh, enjoyed this episode. Uh, we will see you um, next next Friday, same time, same place, 1130 a.m. And I uh, hope everyone has a great St. Patty's Day and enjoys the rest of uh, their Friday. Have a good weekend. Cheers. Don't forget to check out Hedgeye.com to get more actionable investing insights from our team of more than 40 research analysts. And check us out on Twitter at our handle, at Hedgeye. This presentation is informational only. None of the information contained herein constitutes an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security or investment vehicle, nor does it constitute investment recommendation or legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice by Hedgeye or any of its employees, officers, agents, or guests. This information is presented without regard for individual investment preferences or risk parameters and is general, non-tailored, non-specific information. This content is based on information from sources believed to be reliable. Hedge is not responsible for errors, inaccuracies, or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual expressing those opinions and conclusions and are intended solely for the use of Hedge subscribers and the authorized recipients of the content. All investments entail a certain degree of risk, and financial instrument prices can fluctuate based on several factors, including those not considered in the preparation of the content. Consult your financial professional before investing. The information contained herein is protected by United States and foreign copyright laws and is intended solely for the use of its authorized recipient. Access must be provided directly by Hedge Redistribution or republication is strictly prohibited. For more detail, please refer to the Terms of Service at hedgeye.com slash Terms of Service.